You're listening to audio from Living Grace Church in Tyler, Texas. To find out more about Living Grace, go to livinggracetexas.org. Right. Well, we are starting a new series, Psalms of the Summer, and I apologize for the uh, small print, but it says staying in tune with the Holy Spirit. I was uh, talking with some, there's this men's discipleship group that I uh, am a part of, and we were talking about just this book that this guy had been going through, and he talked about this idea of the rhythms of the Holy Spirit, and, and it reminded me that a lot of times, Uh, You know, we tend to think that it's like, hey, how do we fit Jesus? How do we fit God into my life? How do I make this work in my timing? Uh, But yet, rather, I want you to more so understand that the Holy Spirit is always moving. The Holy Spirit is always working. The Holy Spirit is always up to something very good and big and redemptive. And so rather, instead of us trying to fit him into our Life. Rather, it's how do we stay in tune with the Holy Spirit? How do we stay on beat? How do we stay, you know, matched into that frequency of what the Holy Spirit is doing? And so what we're doing is we're looking at these Psalms to understand who God is and what he's done for us. And I believe the more that you understand that, the better that you can live um, in tune with the Holy Spirit and what he's doing in your life. And so that's the series we're going through in the summer, and then we'll be going through the book of Hebrews in the fall. Uh, and so today, Psalm 103, verses 1 through 12, let's dive in. It says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Man, such a, and first I thought we were going to preach the whole, I was going to preach the whole chapter, but as I was writing the sermon, I realized that would be impossible in one Sunday. So (laughs) we're going through 12 verses of the 22 today. But uh, what I wanted to to one, like I said, David is the author of this psalm, and it starts with the, it starts and ends with the same phrase, bless the Lord, O my soul. It's three times that this happens in this passage. And so when things are repeated in a passage of scripture, it's important to take note of that, right? So what we see is that it's more so like 
bookends to this whole thing is that he starts out saying, bless the Lord, O my soul. And he ends the psalm reminding himself again, bless the Lord, O my soul. And so in between, what we're looking at today is what David is blessing the Lord because of. So instead of saying just bless the Lord because bless the Lord, but then David gives us why he blesses the Lord. And most of our time today will be spent on verses 2 through 5, looking at these benefits of blessing the Lord. And so, but once again, I wanted to go back to bless the Lord. And so this isn't uh, an uncommon phrase for David, that there are other, when he's writing the Psalms, or the psalmist in general, is that the psalmist is trying to remind himself, to motivate himself to pursue the Lord, because it's not always easy, right, to be the Christian that we want to be. We don't always pray as much as we want to pray. We don't always do the right thing that we know we should do the right thing. We don't always read as much as we want to read. And so yet within us, though, there is this desire to know God. And so there's moments that in the Christian life is that you must motivate yourself. Another way that I like to say is preach the gospel to yourself, to remind yourself of what, who God is and what he's done for you. And we are, right, as humans, creatures of motivation, right? If we are not motivated to do something, right, think about working out, eating right, or whatever it may be, if we're not motivated to live a certain way, to do a certain thing, then we're not going to do it, right? I mean, you just think back to little kids and toddlers, like, I am constantly trying to sell good food and cleaning up and different things to my kids, my little, my toddlers, because I have to motivate them because they don't want to just pick up the toys. I have to bribe them essentially with food and with getting to do things that they want to do. Or I take away things, right? There's this motivation that if you don't do this, then you're not going to get this. And so what, right, my, uh, when I was thinking about this, my dad was an appraiser after the whole uh, actually, it was before the whole big housing crisis thing, uh, but he was an appraiser, so he would travel all over Houston, and one time I went with him, and he asked me, will you take pictures? I'll pay you uh, 20 bucks. You know, I'm in junior high or something, like 20 bucks is like a million dollars to me. I was like, yes. I like, just take pictures. I stay in the AC. I don't have to get out. He's like, yes. I was like, okay, great. So then I go the one time, he pays me, and then he asked me again, hey, do you want to come back with me to do appraisals on these houses? And I said, are you going to pay me? <laughs> Are you going to give me money? And he was like, yes. And so, sure, part of my motivation, yeah, I wanted to spend time with my dad, right? You know, it's the right thing to say. But really, I probably wanted that money a lot more than I wanted to go take pictures of houses. But, right, I was a teenager, so forgive me for having the wrong motivation. But in the Christian life, right, we too need to be motivated. We too need to be reminded, not by money, right, because money is temporary, Rather, we need to be motivated by what God has done for us. We need to be reminded of who God is and remind ourselves of the same, of who we are, right? Another way, as I said earlier, was to preach to yourself, meaning you need to tell yourself the good news of the gospel every single day, right? You just sin, you preach to yourself that Jesus loves you and still wants you back. You're in the midst of suffering, you remind yourself, you bring to remembrance that God sees you and is working even though you can't see it and he's still on the throne, right? This news, this thing that you're walking through never makes God falter or waver, but instead 
you remind yourself, God, I know you knew this was coming. I know that you see me in this moment where I am just suffering. I'm crying out to you. Yet, I'm going to remind myself, God, that I know you're still on the throne. I know that you're still good, and I know that you still love me. And so David is preaching to himself in this psalm. He's reminding himself. And so he says this, right, right in the beginning. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. David knows and is reminding himself that every part of him, as every part of us, should be blessing the Lord, should be goal to glorify God, every part of us. So he's saying, hey, hey, soul and everything within me, my hands, my heart, my mind, my eyes, my tongue, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord by the way that you live. Bless the Lord by the way that you talk. Bless the Lord by the things that you're thinking about all the time. Bless the Lord all that is within me. And so now the question right to ask is, is God lacking and that's why we need to bless him, right? Is this why God put this verse, this scripture in the Bible is because he is not blessed enough. And so he needs more blessing because he's lacking. No, this isn't what I'm telling you today, right? God is completely self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything outside of himself. God is God. No, rather the reason we bless him, I believe, is twofold. One, he deserves it for who he is. And two, when we bless God, we become blessed. Now, this isn't a, you know, a uh, you know, prosperity gospel sermon where if you want to be blessed by God, then you got to bless him. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this, is that we're not using God, but rather when we understand that when all praise and glory, our thoughts, our mind, our life is being focused and given to God, we are satisfied in him and we'll talk more on this later when we see that God is all good. And so how do we bless God? Simply this, we praise him, we thank him, we worship him, we tell of his deeds to those around us. We tell people about who God is when we say, bless the Lord, oh my soul, is that we are wanting to bring such gratitude from our knees in some way of thanks to who God is and what he's done. And so... Why do we do this? David tells us why. He says, forget not all his benefits. And so what are the benefits of, of God? What are the benefits that God has given us? Verses 3 through 5, this isn't comprehensive, but there's five things. So if you're taking notes, right? One is that he forgives all our iniquities. Two, he heals all of our diseases. Three, he redeems our life from the pit Four, he crowns us with steadfast love and mercy. And five, he satisfies us with good. And so I'm going to dive into each one of these and we'll keep going. So the first one, he forgives all our iniquities. I hope that I and I hope that you never grow tired of hearing the fact that all of your sins were paid for on the cross. Like, if you ever grow numb to that phrase, if that phrase doesn't just bring a little thank you, God, when you think about that, that he paid for all of your sins, every sin, every crime, every feeling of guilt, everything was forgiven in Jesus. And this is why Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 53, 6, where he says, 
all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Is that Jesus took all of our iniquity, every single one of it. And so there's that word all again, even in verse 6 of Isaiah. This is meaning not, and so this isn't, right, I talked for a few weeks ago, right, not every person on earth will be saved. That's not what this is saying, right, that every single person is going to be saved. But no matter a person's status, no matter a person's color, no matter a person's race, no matter the choices in life, is that if one person repents of their sins and they believe in Jesus, they will be forgiven, is what this is teaching, this all God opens our eyes to our sin, but we must come and bring our sins to him, right? He reveals our sin, right? And the Sundays when, we, when you hear a sermon or you listen throughout the week and you feel that, ooh, I think he's talking to me or how does he know or how do they know that I'm going through that or dealing with that, is that's the Holy Spirit nudging you and reminding you that's another thing that he reveals, but then you need to bring to him to the cross. Why? Knowing that all of our sins, every crime, everything that we did against God was paid for on the cross. And so this is one of the benefits of why we should, within us, right, when we hear this, there should be something within us that's saying, bless the Lord. God, you are so good. You are so great. You are so grand by the fact that you died for that sin that I just committed. And so we must bring these sins to him. We must acknowledge our sins, our guilt, our shame, but remember that he paid for them on the cross. He died for his sheep to know him. And so whatever sin or shame or guilt haunts you today, the thing that you just never want to think about, the thing that you never brought up, the thing that you never just wanted to bring before the Lord, know that he has Know that that's forgivable today. Know that he can forgive you. But know he also has a place for you and wants you to come to him. And this is why we as Christians should be the, the people who love really well, but we repent even better. Is that we love really well as Christians, but we should also be way better repenters. It's probably not even a word, but you get what I'm saying. You see, we don't get to let people come to us first. We, don't, we act like Jesus and our Father in heaven and go to those who in some way swung first, who yelled first, who did it first. Because why? They too can find forgiveness in Jesus. They too are included in that all if they bring these sins before the Lord. And that's, so this is, that's the first benefit now to the second. It says this, he heals all of our diseases so God is a healer. God is our healer. And he still heals today. 1,000% believe that, right? I still believe God heals today. God does miracles today, right? And maybe not. A miracle wouldn't be a miracle if it happened all the time, right? So they, they happen, but they don't happen the way that we would want them to. But yet we trust that God is still working and doing things and using the common graces, right, such as medicine and doctors and, and people that have given this, been given this gift to heal other people, right, therapists, etc. And so what I want you to be careful of, though, is to think that God will heal every person here on this earth, right? There are, there are denominations, there are 
there are Christians who firmly believe, and I just don't believe this, that their healing is guaranteed on this earth. I don't believe it. I'm not a believer in that whatsoever, that healing is 100% guaranteed. And they'll go to this verse. They'll go to Isaiah, right, 53 earlier, and they'll go to those verses and they'll say, healing is guaranteed. And it is going to happen, but it may not be on this earth. You may be healed through death. You may be healed through loss. You may be never healed of that disease, and you may have it to the very last day because of some reason that we don't know, but yet we're holding on to God has a good reason that he's using that for. There was just a guy that um, he was, I was talking with him earlier this week, and his wife uh, was diagnosed with cancer back in March, uh, I think it was, and he, he said, <laughs> he was trying to give a compliment, and he was, the wife's a firm believer, but he essentially told her, like, wow, like, you have been so strong, and, but it came across as, wow, you really are a believer in Jesus. Like, that's how it came across, and she was like, I think you're complimenting me right now, but I'm just going to take it as a compliment, because it's also like a uh, kind of like passive-aggressive, like, you didn't think I was saved before. But yet in, this, in the midst of the suffering that both of them are going through, they both talk about how that some of the deepest trials that they've ever had to walk through were these past few months. And their, their faith was really tested of whether or not what they preached for many years was actually true. And so they are seeking the Lord, they are praying but they know that it is ultimately up to God's will, and they're holding on to it. There's another lady I was talking to, and she, this is her second round of cancer, and she says, you know, I just can't wait to see Jesus face to face. She's like, she, she's like if I get healed, great. If not, then I get to see Jesus face to face. And so we, I, I get to this experience, this blessing to be around people who say, I know God can heal but I also know that, man, I can't wait to be with him face to face. You see, there are many sicknesses, diseases, and cancers that people have been healed of here on earth, Christians and non-Christians alike. And God can heal with medicine, with prayer, with laying on of hands, or through death. But how he chooses to heal somebody is up to him. And so what we must be careful of, though, and, and run from are people who say healing is guaranteed because you just need enough faith. And man, that's such a, a sickening thing to say is that they weren't healed because they didn't trust God enough. Like, mm, like my spiritual hands want to be thrown with people like that sometimes because it's, it's not fair. Is that some, some of the greatest believers that I have ever known and read about died with major diseases, died with some, and these people wrote some of the greatest works closest to Jesus and yet experienced disease or a bad death. So if you ever hear someone preaching that or talking about that, please run. Because people haven't died because of a lack of faith. They died because we are all going to die and the effects of sin make it faster for some. The effects of sin make it faster for some. So yes, we pray for healing. Yes, we lay hands on those who are sick. We use medicine, right? If you have heartburn, take some Pepsid, right? That's not a lack of faith to use medicine. That's just 
using God's good and common grace of you got a tummy ache, you take some medicine, right? You got a cough, you eat some cough drops. You got a fever, you take some Motrin, right? Like these are good things from God. But when we pray, when we lay hands, and when we use medicine, we are ultimately saying, God, your timing is what's most important. I trust you. Help me to trust you. Right? When you get that, when you're dealing with the doctors and they don't know what to do with this diagnosis, is God, ultimately, I trust you. And if this is the doctor that is going to help me, then, Lord, I'm going to trust them because ultimately I trust you. God, if this trial, if this thing is whatever it is, Lord, it's like, Whatever this is, I'm ultimately trusting you more than I trust this doctor, this medicine, this thing that I'm using. But I will say this, what God has healed us from, guaranteed is this, was the power of sin on our lives as believers. The burden, right, that kept our backs heavy. The pain knowing that we did wrong and needed our wrongs to be made right. God healed us so that sin no longer has power over us, power over us. Remember, if you have you ever had your back just tweaked before where you couldn't do anything and like you're kind of stuck or like it takes you forever to like stand up or like you can't bend over and so you have this pain and so you're limited, right? And you can't enjoy life the way that you wanted to. You have to take medicine, you're icing it, you're going to a chiropractor, you're going, you might have had to have surgery, right? You're not able to enjoy life, right? But you're but when that back gets cracked, when that ice healed it or that surgery fixed it, is that you're able to enjoy life the way that it was meant to be enjoyed. And it was the same for us, right? When we were in sin, our backs were in some ways stuck. But now we can live in true freedom. We don't have to live with the pain of sin over us, the power of sin over us, but we've been healed from that. So we don't have to deal with the headaches of guilt and shame, but instead we bring it before the cross knowing that we have healing there waiting for us if we would just bring these things to the cross. And so now, right, we can live the way that God meant for us to live. And it won't be perfect, but one day we will live both physically and spiritually pain-free. And so we bless the Lord today knowing that he is our healer and we praise him. Why? Because he cares for us. Number three, he redeems our life from the pit. Remember, David is writing this, so he's probably reminding himself of all the times that he, you know, fought the bear and he fought the lion and he was, had to fight Goliath and all these other things that he might have been reminding himself that, Lord, you redeemed me from all of these situations, all of these things that I was going through. When the, the bear's paw swung at me, when the lion tried to snap at me, when Goliath was charging me, yet you redeemed me from the pit, right? When he he was when he was suffering running away from Saul yet God redeemed him and instead of being a fugitive with a bunch of you know uh, rebels he then became king right God redeemed him God rescued him God brought him from the pit and so maybe the question to ask yourself today is what has God rescued you from was it a bad situation was it a bad relationship was it a bad car wreck what can you praise God for redeeming you and rescuing you from today where you can say, God, I bless you for you saved me from that moment. You saved me from trying to end up in that situation. Lord, you rescued me when it could have been a lot worse, and yet I'm here today breathing, listening. So, Lord, I bless you today for keeping me. And But if you can't think of one, I'll give you one that's for all of us, right? He redeemed us from our life from the pit called hell. 
like where we were all headed, right? The gospel is clear that God saved us from what we deserved, which was for our sins to be punished. Punishment for sin must happen, right? Either the sins of, that we committed or somebody commits are going to be paid for on the cross and redeemed on the cross, and the blood covers those sins on the cross, or that person themselves will be the ones to face the punishment for their sins. But praise be to God that he sent Jesus to take that punishment on the cross for us. The due penalty for our sin was eternal death, but Christ died on our behalf and took the punishment of sin so that we could experience life out of the pit. And so when's the last time that you praised God for saving you, where you said, bless the Lord, Lord, I bless you this morning for saving me, which leads us to our fourth one where he crowns us with steadfast love and mercy, right? God has cleansed us. God has forgiven us. He healed us from the power of sin, and he, now, and he will heal us from our physical pain one day. But then he redeemed our life from the pit. And so now, right, he didn't just leave us right outside the pit standing there, but he brings us into the family, into the kingdom, into the palace, and now we're sons and daughters of the Most High, sons and daughters of the King. And so then he crowns us and showers us with his steadfast love and mercy. In the King James Version, he says he crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies. I just love that phrase, loving kindness and tender mercies. I love to think about how kind the Lord has been to me and my family, right? On this Father's Day earlier today, I was... uh, thinking about just going through old pictures of, of just like us, the places we lived, of how life was before kids, and then seeing Elisha and Kyla when they were little, and, and then seeing them now as they're older, and then we have Darcy on the way. And so I just look back on my life, and I just see God's kindness. I just see his tender mercy in the moments when I didn't deserve any of these great things that God has given me, yet I look back and I see so many. I see so many things that I was like, God, you knew I was about to do that, and yet you blessed me with this. Or Lord, you know I did that, and the same day you blessed me with this. And like, God, I don't deserve any of this kindness and this love and these tender mercies that you've given me. And so I was just sitting there just amazed, saying, God, why? Like, why did I get to enjoy this? It's because God is so kind, right? Even when we're in sin, he is gentle, and it stems from his love, right? His steadfast love, his love is so loyal and consistent. He is always there when we need him. He is there when we turn away from our sin and look towards him and what he did for us on the cross. He even gave us his Holy Spirit to live inside of us so that we are never alone and always have what we need for whatever life throws at us. And then he didn't stop there, but he crowns us with his tender mercies. He showers us every single day with mercies upon mercies and kindness upon kindness. And it's not tender pity on us, right? It's not compassionless love, but it's tender mercies. And and the Bible in multiple places calls God's mercy great. And his mercy is compassion. 
And it is this continual blessing given to us which leads us to the last benefit, which I said we'd get to later, which was that he satisfies us with good. And so the phrase, if you go and you look in verse 5, it says, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles, is that this, this phrase doesn't mean that you will look young when you follow Jesus. Like, that's not what this is saying. It doesn't mean that you're going to look like you did when you were young in your 20s and your 30s if you follow Jesus and you'll never look old. That's not what, what the, the psalmist is saying here. Rather, uh, Charles Spurgeon, uh, he's an old dead guy, he said this about this passage. He says, that renewal of strength amounting to a grant of a new lease of life was granted to the psalmist. He was so restored to his former self that he grew young again and looked as vigorous as an eagle whose eye can gaze upon the sun and whose wing can mount above the storm. You see, it was this goodness of God that he gave to David that made David feel new because of all the good things that David was feasting on that satisfied him from God. And so earlier this week, I was reading Mere Christianity, a great book by a guy named C.S. Lewis. If you've never read uh, C.S. Lewis before, it's a great book. But he says this in, his, uh, in the book, and it'll be up here. It says this, God made us. Uh, he invented us. Or I'll wait till uh, you put it up there. It's the C.S. Lewis quote. All right. It says this, God made us. Invented us as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on petrol. He's in England, so gas. And it would not run properly on anything else. Now God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. I love that. God designed the human machine to run on himself. Do you ever wonder why your life doesn't seem to be clicking? Do you wonder why you're sluggish or feel like life is dragging on with no purpose? Maybe it is because you've been trying to find wholeness and happiness and peace in everything outside of the way God created you to find wholeness, which is in himself. The line, God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there is so true, right? Why would a good and loving father give you not what you actually need? When the kids and I, right, Jamie, or when I'm with Elisha and, and Kyla, and it, we're outside and it's really hot and they're playing really hard, they will ask, say, hey, water, water, can we get some water, can we go get some water? And because, right, they actually love water, which is weird. But imagine if they were crying out for water and I gave them motor oil. Like, imagine how evil I would be. I'd probably get arrested, right? I'd probably get, you know, called on. I'd get, the kids might be taken away. You know, I might be going sent to an insane asylum. Like, they would wonder why is this guy who's, all his kids need was water, giving them oil instead, right? I would be insane, right? No, I know that they need water. I know that that's what they need. They don't need oil. I'm going to give them what they need to quench that thirst because I know how they were created to be. Yet how many times do we cry out to God for purpose, patience, help, peace, happiness, joy, and then when he offers himself to us, we push him away? 
right? We cry out to God to do something in our life, to fix this thing. And yet when he gives us himself, we want something other than God. We think we know what's best for us in our lives, but we forget that he created us. We ask God to give us strength, but don't spend any time in his word or praying to him. We ask God to help us to be better Christians, but we don't obey what's in his word. We ask him to fix our lives, but when he starts to do it by taking stuff or people away, we throw a fit and blame him for ruining our life. When God is doing God things, we say he's doing nothing. Why? Because God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because he's a good father and he's only going to give us what we actually need not what we want. And so when God starts taking things out of our life after we start praying, it's not why God, it's God, I trust you. God, I'm going to lean into you. God, I know that you know what you're doing in this situation. Because everything that comes from God is good, and everything we get from God is good. And when we start to live life feeding on God's word, spending time with him, doing life the way he wants, we find true life. We will be able to endure any storm, not because of us, but because of God in us. God will always give you what you need, not what you think or want or what you think you need. And so to close out, if y'all can stand with me this morning. To close out, I'm going to read verses 6 through 12 to kind of finish out this passage or today's sermon, it says this, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And so what this passage teaches us, the Lord doesn't keep us from all oppression. That's not what it says. But he works righteousness and justice for those who are oppressed. And this is because he is compassionate and gracious. She says God is slow to anger and abounding in love. And we all see this clearly, right, in the life of Jesus. That though he was oppressed by the Jews and the Roman soldiers, yet Jesus knew what was waiting for him on the other side of the cross, which was the resurrection. He knew he would come back to life so that we too can experience resurrection he, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, the shame. And so we see justice was served on the cross. This was so that he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve because he took that on the cross for us. He doesn't repay us according to our crimes against him and others. His love is greater than we can imagine, right? It's higher than the heavens, meaning that we can't even see or even understand how great his love is for us, his steadfast love, right? His tender mercies, his loving kindness. So then why do we live in such defeat and why do we keep other sins 
in front of our eyes when our sins were scattered as far as the east is from the west? Why do we keep other people's mistakes? Why do we keep other people's sins, other people's issues? Why do we keep all these things in front of us, yet when this passage and why the psalmist is saying, bless the Lord that my sins are so far away from me that he removed them, that I can't see them anymore, that his love is so great that it's covered all this, that he doesn't repay me according to my iniquities and the crimes that I committed. And so why do we do the same for those around us? Why can't we show that same mercy to them? Not this pity type mercy, this mercy that is like out of obligation, but rather this mercy that is tender, this mercy that costs. Because you talk about it's going to cost you, look what it costs God, it costs his son. It costs his son to be forsaken, to be spit on. And this is why we bless the Lord. These benefits are the things that we must remind ourselves of. That he's forgiven us all of our iniquities. He healed us from our diseases, from the power of sin. He rescued us from the pit. He crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercy. And then he gives us himself. He gives us good that satisfies so that we can have this life that shows that we're tapped into our creator. God is so big, so good, so kind, so gracious, and so loving. And so may you never forget today on this Father's Day how loving and tender and kind your heavenly Father is. What he has done for you, what he is doing for you, and what he will do for you. And so I just say that you rest in him today and that before you leave, that you bless him with all that is within you, that you leave today being reminded of these good things, these great things that are benefits of being his children. And I believe that when you start to be reminded of these things, that you start going to then you're going to start matching up with the rhythm of the Holy Spirit and you're going to be able to keep in tune with him and as Galatians would say, to keep in step with the Spirit. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. We hope this helps you on your journey to glorify God by enjoying him and making disciples who make disciples.